Scott Kearney. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Uh, and uh, we are a little over two years old as a church, pumped to be here in this city and to be doing and have the privilege to do what we do. Um, so glad you're here. If you are new, uh, we have these cards scattered throughout the seats. They're called I'm New Cards. Uh, we encourage you guys to fill those out and uh, hand them back uh, in the hallway to our welcome table. We got a gift for you. Uh, and really what this does is it just starts a conversation. Uh, we want to start a conversation with you to understand a little bit more about your faith journey, where you're at. Uh, we realize church is not the most comfortable place place for most people. Uh, we get that. That's why we made this church. That's why we started this. So anyway, start that faith conversation with us and uh, we'll journey with you and we'll tell you a little bit more about what some of those next steps are as well along the way. Uh, well, uh, we are beginning a brand new series today called Salt and Light uh, with a tagline for me, how to win friends and influence people Jesus style. Um, so if you've ever uh, heard of Dale Carnegie's book back in 1936, How to Win Friends and Influence People, this is Jesus' method of doing it, and it's awesome, uh, really fun. It's just a brief two-week series on this. Uh, we just finished one called The Upside-Down Kingdom in which we were exploring the crazy countercultural values of Jesus. When he started his movement, he said things that set people up in a movement that was so different from any other movement on planet Earth because he wasn't just out to change circumstances. He was out to change people because he knew this, this world would never be a different place unless he went to, to actually change the people that are a part of his movement and not just the circumstances that his movement was going to change. So uh, now the interesting thing is uh, as we move now into Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that. Um, it's going to be Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 13. As we transition to that, now he's going to talk about, man, what does it look like for us to actually have an impact in this world? What does that look like? And so in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 13, and then the following verses up to 16, he's going to talk about our identity as salt and light. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's read it real quick. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. After he says all these values, countercultural, changing our hearts, he then says, you, meaning his followers, those who have decided, man, I'm in, I love the Jesus life, and I'm in in the Jesus life. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? Now, some of you are like, mind blown. You know, how do you lose saltiness if you're salt? We'll get to that in a second. It's no longer good for anything, he says, except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Jesus says we're salt. That this is our identity. We are salt if we are followers of Jesus. Uh, now the big question is, what is salt and what does it do? Okay? So uh, when you think about salt and, and our daily use, the, the main use that we have for salt is what? Flavoring, right? Trying to make things a little bit tastier, okay? We're going to get to that. That's an aspect of what it means to be salt. But in the ancient world, it actually had a more prevalent use, a more important use. See, back in the first century, they didn't have refrigerators. And so if they were going to eat meat, they had to have a way to preserve meat. And it wasn't like you could go to the store and get like a pound of ground beef, you know? If you're going to have meat, it's like, boom, the whole cow goes down. And you got to somehow preserve it or eat the whole thing right there on the spot. So there was a way to preserve the meat. And it was through salt. If you drain the meat and you had a piece of meat that was drained and then you rubbed salt all over it, it actually could last quite a while. This is what some uh, studies have, have shown us that in the first century, this is what they did. They used salt to preserve the meat. Now, what is meat? Uh, as you can see here, I've got a beautiful slice 
of uh, beef tenderloin here for us today. This is not cooked, so please don't come up and eat it, okay? I don't want that in the newspapers tomorrow. Um, meat is essentially a dead body. Now, that just turned all of you on to eat meat the rest of the day. It is a dead body that is on its way to decaying unless something happens to it. Now, we're way too hungry in America. We never let it get to the decaying part because we just gobble it down so fast. But if meat left to itself, it will decay and it will rot. Here's what Jesus is saying. And this, is, this, is, this offends all of us. I don't care where you come from, what your story is, what your background is, whether you consider yourself a person of faith or you consider yourself not a person of faith. You know, you've been in the church all your life or you stepped into church for the first time today. All, this offends all of us right here. This is what Jesus is saying. You ready for this? I don't like this. Jesus is saying every one of us in this world are part of a decaying world that left by itself will rot and go bad. And every one of us are a part of that. He's saying not just the world is wrong, but there's something inside every one of us that's wrong and left to itself will decay and rot. Now, again, I don't like this because I like to think that I'm getting better and better and better in life. You know, I'm getting faster, I'm getting stronger, I'm getting smarter. Uh, That's not true at all. Uh, We're going to get to that in a second. But there is this subtle thought that life is going to progress and get better and better. We are in the 21st century after all, right? We've got smartphones in our hands. You know, they used to have rooms this size of computers that don't even, like, I mean, they, they don't hold a candle to the power of what we have in our hands nowadays. Surely, humanity is progressing and getting better and smarter and faster and more intelligent, right? This is, if, if, if we're tempted to think that, we run the same risk that some of the philosophers and some of the scientists did We're going right into the 19th century. Check this out. Uh, as... Uh, right after the Industrial Revolution, in the late uh, 19th century and the early 20th century, there were a lot of scientists and philosophers who actually said, man, pr- humanity is progressing. We're getting better. Look at all the technological advances that we've had. And not only that, we now have Darwinism to prove that evolution is making us better and faster and smarter. We are evolving into a better humanity. And so you had guys like H.G. Wells that said something like this. Can we doubt that presently our race will more than realize our boldest imaginations? That it will achieve unity and peace? That it will live, uh, the children of our blood and lives will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know? Going on from strength to strength in an ever-widening circle of adventure and achievement. I'm telling you, this is one of the lies that we can buy into today. That things are actually progressing and we have a chance, we have a shot at world peace. Now, if you came in today and you're like, what are you saying? We don't have a shot at that? This is why I don't like church. It's all doom and gloom and makes me feel nasty about myself. Look, we just got to get honest about this. Let's just be honest. It took 20 years for the same guy who said that to say something radically different. In 20 years, World War I happened. And H.G. Wells said this, Homo sapiens, as he's pleased to call himself, is played out. His depravity has come so near to breaking my spirit entirely. All he had to do was experience a glimpse of World War I and all his optimism about life was shattered. That was just World War I. Now you go into World War II, and post-World War II, there was this giant cynicism that hung over the whole world. 
We thought we could progress and look what humanity is capable of. I mean, I tell you, if you're tempted to think humanity is just going to get better and better and better, just watch a World War II documentary. That wasn't that long ago, folks. It's amazing what kind of evil humanity is capable of. And so if we think that, we run the risk of having this spacey optimism about life, and we've got to, we've got to wrestle with the fact that there is something wrong. There's something wrong with the world And if we're really honest, there's something wrong with ourselves. Now, we know this instinctively, that there's something wrong with the world, and that we're actually on the process of decaying. Uh, This is what Romans chapter 8 says, that creation is subject to decay, uh, and it's in bondage, waiting to be liberated. That's what Romans 8 is all talking about. Like, man, we're, we're subject to this decaying process here in this world. We know this just in our physical bodies, don't we? I mean, look, when I was 20 years old, I would have said, I'm invincible, baby. You know, I could do anything. I was one of those guys at like 40-foot cliff jumps that I was like, I'm the first one there. I'm going to jump right off that cliff into the water. Like, what's up? Nobody can touch me. You know, I'm 33 now, and I got sleep injuries. Look, I sleep on my arm the wrong way, and I'm like, well, I guess that's going to hurt for the next month, you know? It's sad, guys. Like, you don't pop up at 90 years old and think, check this out. This body's legit. You know, like, you don't say that. We sag, we droop. That's just part of life. Like, there's, there's something about, <laughs> like, stop laughing, okay? You're going to make me laugh. Um, there's something about us as we get older where something starts decaying. Like, we're literal bodies decaying. I probably shouldn't even say this, but as you go into a nursing home, you smell the decay. You do. It's there. That's why some people really don't like going to the hospital. We know that. Now, just, just beyond our bodies feeling that, science tells us this. The second law of thermodynamics says that we go from order to chaos, that the whole universe is actually slowly losing energy. I mean, if you believe this, when the Big Bang happened, boom, it sent energy in all sorts of directions, but it, it sent energy in a way that actually is decreasing. It is getting farther and farther apart, and energy is actually losing So at some point, based on just science alone, it says that the sun is going to fizzle out and the earth is going to dry up and blow away. And you're like, man, I'm so glad I came to church today. (laughs) Yeah, look, there's something about life that is saying, no, things aren't quite right. They're not quite right. Now, if that wasn't enough... Well, I mean, we're tempted to think optimistically here because, again, we've got the, like, this computer in our hands and we've put a man on the moon and we're actually now thinking about commercial flights to the moon. But in case that's not enough evidence for you guys, I just want to rattle off a couple other things to say that even in, here in America, with all our technology, we're not well. Obesity. Just at a health level here, obesity, according to the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, says that we are nearly 10% more obese now, both adults and kids, than we were 20 years ago. The National Institute on Drug Abuse says that uh, heroin users have tripled from 2003 to 2014. Heroin-related deaths have actually increased five-fold since 2000. Depression alone is on the rise, uh, especially among youth from between 2013 and 2016, just in three years. It says the diagnosis of major depression has risen dramatically by 33% since 2013. By 33%. Violence has increased. In May of this year, they ran a study that said that in just 21 weeks, there were 23 school shootings. Whoa. Whoa. Sexual addictions. Sex ed right now is pornography online. 
And 70 to 80% of all 18 to 34 year olds are regular viewers. Whatever your stance on pornography is, we are addicted to it. And Princeton University actually uses MRI scans to analyze brain waves. And it actually shows that those who regularly view pornography, especially men, they start viewing human beings as objects, not as human beings. And I mean, this is, this is, I mean, it's rampant. Racially, you don't need to look at the Black Lives Matter movement to see that we are deeply divided racially in America. And that has only gotten worse. So you see, I mean, here in America, yes, we have a lot of things here, but man, things aren't well. Things aren't well. Now, what I want to articulate to you, whether you believe the Bible or not, is that we have a deep spiritual foundation for this. There is a deep spiritual foundation for why we are as bad and experiencing some of this decay in this world as we are. In Romans chapter 1, it put it this way. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In a sense, what we did is we, it, it, it sounds harsh language, but essentially this is what it is. We have chosen a selfish path away from God and just did not choose to recognize him for who he is. Instead, we're going to live however we want to live, suppressing the truth about God. You could substitute selfishness for wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Yes, they knew him, but they did not worship him. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas about God, what, what he was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. This is Romans chapter 1, 18 through 25. And then in verse 28 and following, it says, So since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God... He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder. I mean, when I look at World War II, I'm like, I'm fascinated by World War II and that whole era. The whole thing there is predicated on greed. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of lives were lost because of greed. Hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. You just turn on the news, guys. We see all of that, don't we? Bondage to decay. This is what it means. A world left to itself has no hope of saving itself. It is like a piece of meat that left to itself is going to die and rot and decay. This meat has no hope in preserving itself, right? It's cut off from its life force, like this is it. Left to itself, it has nothing. Now, as some of you are thinking, this is, this is great. I love my Sunday morning now. I'm just going to have a beautiful day the rest of the day. Here's the hope, okay? That's the bad news. That's the bad news. The bad news is that we are worse off than we thought we are. Here's the good news. God was never going to leave us there. This is where salt comes in, okay? This is where salt comes in. Now, what is salt for? Now, for some of you, when we think about salt... This piece of meat by itself, it's kind of bland, kind of gross. It's not going to do anything, you know. If, even if you cook it up without any flavor, it's just, you know, it's just meat. But salt is supposed to do something to this piece of meat and make it better. It's supposed to make it better. But sometimes 
In our Christian lives, I mean, when Jesus says that we are salt, what he's saying is we're we're supposed to make this world a better place. But sometimes in our Christian life, when we look at the world and the the decay and what's about to be decayed, we say, no, I just want to stay as far away from that as possible. And so instead of salt preserving and flavoring, we find all sorts of ways to isolate ourselves from the world. And so we'll create our Christian subcultures, you know, and be like, hey, uh, anybody want to go to... Chick-fil-A today? Uh, and maybe we, afterwards we can just go to Hobby Lobby and shop around for a while, you know? And uh, if, you're, if you're cool, maybe you can, you, you can ride in my car because we're playing Hillsong and Chris Tomlin all day long, and it's going to be amazing. I got the fish bumper sticker on there, so, like, we're good, we're covered, you know? Just guard your heart, bro, you know? And we'll be hashtag blessed all day long. It's going to be amazing, okay? And I got, I got the Jesus swag on. It's going to be awesome. And then maybe, maybe what we can do is we can go to the movies later and actually watch Fireproof, you know? Uh, and it's going to be really great. So, you know, and it's just salt, 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 hanging out with salt all day long. And you tell me, which one would you rather eat? Look, salt's awesome. But salt by itself with a whole bunch of salt is gross. It's gross. If I was to pick all this up right now and put it in my mouth, I would gag so bad that I'd have to leave this room in a hurry, okay? Don't do it. <laughs> don't, look, don't you call me out like that, you weasel. All right, look, salt has a purpose. And unless it's fulfilling its purpose, it gets gross. And some of us, that's, that's what we're like. Some of us, when we, when we think about our Christian life, we just think, man, all I got to do is surround myself with other Christians and with the Bible, and I'm just going to preserve myself from this world, and I'm going to be nice and isolated and nice and safe. Salt had a purpose. Salt is no good unless it was rubbed into that meat, rubbed into it. And for some of us, we don't like it because it's uncomfortable But salt is no good unless it's attached to something. And and Jesus actually wants to take us as a church and as Jesus followers, and he actually wants to rub us deep into the meat in this world because left to itself, it's going to decay and Jesus doesn't want that. He loves this world too much. We cannot isolate from the world. We can't. Instead, we've got to see ourselves as deeply integrated into this world to care for it and protect it. Now, for some of us, like, we just, we don't like that because it's too uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, Jesus commissions us to go into the discomfort, into the uncomfortable places, and to talk to maybe uncomfortable people, maybe people who don't believe anything of what you believe, so that you can love them the way that he loved us. My question is, what does salt look like for you guys? Are you by yourself? Or have you thought about what's decaying? And are you, willing, are you willing to pour a little bit of your life into that? Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take these out of the world, meaning his followers. Not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As you've sent me into the world, now I send them into the world. But you can't love those you're not attached to. Now, uh, it gets uncomfortable, I'm telling you. We love to just kind of like cloister ourselves with people who believe exactly what we believe and, and think just the way we, we think and all that, but Jesus doesn't want us to stay there. Uh, the other day, um, man, God just really put it in my heart. We live in a city that is radically overrun by drugs, right? You don't, I mean, you can't talk to any leaders in this city or politicians that know Nashville well without understanding that we've got a big drug problem here. Now, if you're like me, that's uncomfortable. 
I didn't grow up with drugs. I had no experience with it. And so this is what I tend to do. I'm just going to stay away from it. As long as I don't partake in it, I'm good. And I'm just going to salt myself. God said, not good enough. And so he put me in touch with this guy who knows that scene really well. And just the other day, Mark and I joined him, Louie and Bob, and we went around Nashua and we actually looked for places where people are, uh, are using drugs, um, homeless folks that are living in tents, and people who've really been abused by all of that. And I'm telling you what, it got uncomfortable for me because you know what Bob took? Like this, we did this at night and we're walking down the river right on like Canal Street in Nashua, right off of Main Street. We're walking down the river, like, in the dark, pitch dark, you know, and we're looking for needles. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, okay, I might die tonight, okay? I might die. Charity might never see me again. The kids are not going to see me again, Uh, but we walked down there for one reason. Those people in the tents mattered. I don't care what they've been through. They matter And when Jesus came into this world, he didn't come to protect himself. The dude was born in a feeding trough. The God of the universe was born in a feeding trough. That's how uncomfortable he became. He rubbed himself so deeply into the fabric of this world that he was willing to go through all sorts of abuse and take on a physical human body and literally start rubbing shoulders with the people who rejected him. And he walked down that road eventually to the point where people not only mocked him and abused him because they thought that he was nothing but a coward, but they nailed him to a cross. And he died a wretched death for your sake and my sake. If that's what our Lord and our Savior was willing to do for me, so that I would never have to face an eternity away from him ever again, he has called me to not be in my comfort zone anymore but to start flavoring and protecting this piece of meat because it's going to decay and rot unless we do anything about it. I don't have any answers for that. I don't have any solutions that are going to solve the drug scene in Nashville, but I do know that I can't do anything, I can't do nothing about it anymore. If If I claim this city is my city and Jesus has called me, it has to now be my problem too. Now, For some of us, when we think about this, when we think about reaching a world that is decaying and far from God, people who say they don't want anything to do with God anymore, there's some of us in this room that say, yeah, that's great for some people. You know, that whole evangelism thing, sharing the love of Jesus with people who are, you know, who don't think and behave the way that you do, that's great for some people. God has raised up evangelists, right? That's just not me. You know, they're like the people who who have a bowl of soup and they're like, you know, I just kind of like my soup uh, saltless. You know, that's like, that's, that's maybe your flavor. You like to have a whole bunch of salt in your soup, but that's not me. You know, I'm not a salty kind of a guy. Jesus doesn't leave that option for us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, when he calls us to this calling, he doesn't say you now have salt. And if you want to use it, go ahead and spread it around. What does he say? You are salt. You are salt. It's your now identity. It is a new identity. When it comes to caring for a world that is far from God, that is part and parcel to who you are now. And to not do that is to actually forsake part of who you are. And when all we want to do is this all day long, I'm telling you, not only do we become gross, we start losing our identity. That's why Christians get weird. 
all right? Look, you know it's true. There's some Christians, Christians that just start getting weird, and they have their own subculture. They have their own language. Uh, they have things about them that are just kind of like standoffish. Don't touch me. I don't want to be near you. You know, ick, you just kind of gross me out. Like, we, nobody wants to be around people like that. It is part and parcel to your identity. And when we start seeing people out there who are maybe far from God and maybe rotting and decaying and start loving them with compassion, that's when you start understanding what your real identity is. Uh, When Jesus was teaching about this, he was about 100 miles from an area that was the saltiest area in the entire world. Anybody know where that was? The Dead Sea. He was in a place called the Sea of Galilee. It was about 100 miles north of the sea, uh, the, the Dead Sea. Uh, the River Jordan ran right down about 100 miles right to the Dead Sea. Uh, and what he was doing when he was teaching about this was probably casting a bit of a side glance off to a community that had completely separated themselves from the world. Uh, there was a community about 60 years earlier to Jesus called the Essenes uh, who prided themselves on separating themselves from the world. They called themselves Sons of Light. We're going to get into Light of the World next week as our next part of our identity. Uh, but they prided themselves on being separate from the world. So this is what they did. They literally surrounded themselves with a ton of Old Testament manuscripts. They had Bible, 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 Bible all over them. And they hid out in salt caves. Did you know there's nothing that can survive in the Dead Sea? It is so salty. No living thing can survive in the salt sea. It's that salty. In fact, it's so salty. I went there when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, you can literally float on the Dead Sea um, without um, paddling or, you know, treading water or nothing. Like, you, you can just sit there and you're floating. It's that buoyant. It's so salty. I actually took big rocks in my hands just to test it and was still floating in that water with those stones in my hands. This lifestyle's dead. The essence of our faith in Christianity is not surrounding ourselves with the Bible and not surrounding ourselves with Christians. It's actually taking the word of God into a world in need. That's where life is. That's where life is. And when we miss that, we miss life, we, li- we, we, we miss identity. We are there not as an optional condiment, but as a life-changing preservative to something that's going to rot and go bad. I don't know anybody who does this better than my buddy Joe. Uh, you guys know Joe Bancroft. I love this guy. Uh, he lives a lifestyle that everywhere he goes, I'm just going to make him really uncomfortable right now, okay? Um, he lives this kind of lifestyle everywhere he goes, and everyone around him in his workplace, in his neighborhood, I mean, in the group that he has on Wednesday nights, everyone knows they're safe with Joe because they know that Joe is for him, not against them. It's amazing. The other day, he's in his truck, uh, and there's one of his coworkers who is not a church person, not a religious person, not a person of faith at all. Uh, randomly, uh, he just like he looks at Joe and says, "Hey, got a question for you. Why does God hate gays?" And he didn't say it in like a "Let's go to battle here. Let's go get our you know our gloves on." He's just like, "No, legitimately, like why does God hate gays?" And Joe went on to tell him, "God does not hate gays. That's not true." But even the fact that his coworker asked him that question said so much about who Joe is. It said that they felt safe enough and loved and cared for enough by him that they're willing to go there in places that are maybe really controversial and really uncomfortable. They are so loved by him that they're willing to go there with him. When was the last time you had someone in your life that was willing to go there with you who's not a believer? When was the last time you had a friend who is not a Christian? You know 
if you have any friends at all, if you go to their house and they come to your house. And my guess is there's some of us in this room that have become so cloistered and so enmeshed in a Christian bubble that that's not even part of your life. And my question is, do you love this city? Do you love people? Do you love your neighborhood? Do you love your workplace? Or is your workplace a means to an end? Do you go there for a paycheck only and not care about the people or the environment in it? Is your, is your neighborhood a means to an end? It's comfortable and it's safe in there. Or is it good in and of itself and you want to actually love it and care for it because you feel sent, you are salt in it? Now, here's the crazy thing. If we're going to make a difference, salt, uh, salt can't be meat. If I'm going to preserve meat, I can't get another piece of meat and put it on top of the meat and say, man, it's good, right? That doesn't work, right? I mean, like, it's got to be drained and it's got to have some salt on it. Salt is different from meat, isn't it? Salt is different. Salt is not meat. Salt is salt. Now, for some of us, when we think about impacting this world, we think about actually just assimilating to it and becoming exactly like this world and maybe just a hipper, cooler version of it. That's not what it means to be salt either. We have to be different. We have to walk, when we walk into our workplaces, the whole culture of our workplace has to shift a little bit. Do you call out the dishonesty in your workplace because you're different? Do you call people out who are railing on their husband or railing on their wife and say, man, stop, don't do that. Do you address the racism in your neighborhood? Do you address the gossip in your workplace? Do you address some of these things as differently? Like maybe some of the promiscuity and, and, and the parties after the, after the workplace. Like, Do you address some of that stuff? Not to just kind of be like, you know, naughty, 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 but to actually love these people and know that, man, that's not healthy. It's not a healthy lifestyle. Like, do, do you walk into your workplaces thinking, man, we can make this workplace a better place. We could help these people become healthier people. The only way you can do that is if you're different enough that you start showing them a different way. We can't assimilate to the world. We've got to be different from the world. But we can't isolate from the world. We've got to be deeply integrated into it. That's what it means to be salt. Tim Keller said, Is your life so remarkable that it shows up in the contrast between the beauty of Christ and what's around you? Or do you blend in? And there's nothing remarkable at all about your life. And there's nothing about you that stands out. Guys, this is what is so crazy about the gospel message itself, what Jesus did for us. It's uncomfortable. It's different. To tell people that we've got an essential problem on the inside of us, that we're rotting from the inside and left to ourselves if we don't have anything from the outside of us to save us, that's an uncomfortable message. But if it's true, it's the most loving thing that you could ever offer people. Do we love our world enough to offer them that message? To know that Eternity apart from God is, does not have to be your reality. But a life with God for all eternity in the most blissful state that you could ever imagine can be yours with a simple gesture of faith towards Christ. Ephesians 2 said, As for you, you were dead in your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. That's what we were, all of us. We were dead, every one of us. We got nothing to offer God. We're no better. At that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded, without God and without hope. That means you were dead, you were rotting and dying. Not a popular message, but an important one if we're going to get this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. 
Do you believe that? And if you believe that, who are we going to start offering that gift to? There's one more thing that salt does. And it's what we talked about at the very beginning. When I asked you guys, what, what, how do we use salt in this world? You said flavor, right? Now, I think for too many people in our context, in our culture right now, when you think about the church, <laughs> how many of them would say, yeah, they're fun-loving, awesome, high-energy kind of people who just, like, they always have a blast everywhere they go. Someone put it this way. This is an American judge, Oliver Wendell Holmes. He said, I might have entered the ministry if clergymen I knew hadn't looked and acted so much like undertakers. Some of you, that's your church experience. The poet Robert Louis Stevenson once said, I have been to church today, and to his surprise, he said, and I'm not depressed. <laughs> Guys, what would it look like if we actually flavored our world around us so much that when we party, they say, man, I want in on that. I want in on that party. There, there was a moment for me, um, I've, I've mentioned this to some of you before, but there was a moment for me when uh, I was a, a grunt man, lowest man on the totem pole uh, at my job. Uh, this was uh, right after college and uh, some between college as well, but between college and seminary, uh, I worked at a t-shirt factory. And no joke, it was about 100 degrees on the inside of this place because of the, the dryers that would dry some of these shirts that were going through with wet ink on them. Uh, so it was painful to work in there. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, here I am, lowest man on the totem pole, I'm stacking shirts, boxing boxes and I'm living in a sweatshop every single day of my life. Like, how did this happen? I've got a degree. <laughs> like, how did that happen? I was thinking, like, poorly of myself. I'm like, this is awful. The conditions are terrible. And then I started looking at all my other coworkers. That's their reality every day. And I started thinking to myself, man, I'm getting so down on a job that I think is beneath me when I've become so self-righteous that all I want to do is isolate from the world and get what's comfortable for me. I started seeing that these guys were hurting and that they were in pain and that they needed some love, they needed something to spice up their environment every day to let them know that they mattered. And God completely changed my heart and it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life because in that moment forward, I decided every day I'm gonna do something to put a smile on these guys' faces. <laughs> so I literally became a fool. <laughs> Every day, I'd take these t-shirt rags and scraps that were like leftovers, had bad ink on them. I'd rip them up and create all these wacky outfits, okay? Like I came in in a toga one day. I had like a turban. I was a pirate one time. And then my favorite outfit of all, I don't recommend this. You'll probably get fired if you do this. Uh, I cut a box uh, in, a, in a way that it looked like a barrel. I cut the top and the, and the bottom off of it and I took some rags and made it like straps to the barrel. And I rolled up my pants and took my shirt off and it looked like I was working naked with just a barrel around me, okay? Don't do that in your workplace, you will get fired. Uh, but when the guys walked in, man, I'm telling you, this is what it was like, they're like walking in. Oh, oh no. And for the rest of the day, everyone could not stop smiling. I'm telling you, man, what would it look like if we as Christians started acting that way to say we want to make our city a better place? We want to make our neighborhood a better place. We want to make all the friends that we have around us, like when we walk into the room, we want the spirit to lift because the God of all the universe came in and lifted us when we were dead and decaying and rotting and has now given us new life. 
Could that be our identity as a church? To go everywhere we are and to be that salt that would not just preserve it from decay, but to bring life and flavor to it in a way that it had never experienced before. I believe that is the future of this church, and I can't wait to be a part of it. Let's pray.